0: Welcome in, Clay Travis Outkick, the show. I love all of you on YouTube. Click like and subscribe. We thank you so much for all the support we're getting there. Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. You can watch a video or listen to a video. We're basically everywhere. Millions of you consuming the content. We appreciate all of you. We got a lot to dive into today. Today. Little bit of housekeeping. Um, I'm leaving for Italy on Friday. Taking the whole family. I'm going to be gone for like 10, 11 days, whatever the heck it is. Never been to Italy before. Going to Florence, going to Rome, going to Naples. So I may or may not be very accessible uh, in the days ahead. In the meantime, however, uh, we will be here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I may duck out on Thursday for the SEC basketball tournament. Uh, to go watch a little bit of that. So I may only be here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday before I head off to Italy. Don't think I'm abandoning you. Don't think that I'm running away. Just taking a well-deserved vacation with the entire Travis family and headed to Europe. So uh, that is happening on Friday. Again, I may duck out on Thursday. No radio. It'll be one of the few times uh, that I am relatively inaccessible So I cannot wait for that, but just giving you all a heads up on where I am headed. Let's start here. Uh, Novak Djokovic is not allowed to come into the United States still. I just mentioned that I'm going to Italy. I have not gotten the COVID shot. Uh, My kids have not gotten the COVID shot. There is no requirement that we have the COVID shot in order to travel to Italy. Also, when we turn around and we fly back in, There is no requirement that we provide a test or anything else related to COVID because it's all worthless. The COVID shot doesn't prevent or stop the spread of COVID. So what in the world is going on that if you are a foreigner and you want to fly to this country, you aren't allowed in unless you get the COVID shot? What kind of madness is this? It's utterly non-scientific. It is utterly nonsensical and it is indefensible. It's the antithesis of science. Um, And so I, I keep pointing this out, but it's so readily apparent and the hypocrisy is so staggering that I think it's important to hit. Think about this for a minute. You can walk across the southern border as over 5 million illegals have and enter the United States without any COVID shot, without any COVID test at all. So how is it, and you can stay here for years, how is it that we have more stringent COVID requirements for people who want to legally visit the United States, like Novak Djokovic, than we do for people who are illegally crossing the southern border? I kind of wish on some level that Novak Djokovic would make this point, fly to Mexico, take a private car up to the border and enter the United States at the southern border and try to play tennis here. Yes, it would be a bit of a political stunt, but it would point out the absurdity, which is over 5 million illegal entrants have come into this country from the southern border with zero COVID requirements. Yet Novak Djokovic cannot fly in on a plane, play tennis here, and then leave and go back from Europe because he doesn't have the COVID shot, even though he has natural immunity, which has been shown to be more powerful than COVID shot immunity. And I believe he's had COVID multiple times. I would love anyone on the planet to justify this Biden administration policy in any respect. I don't think any of you can because it's utterly nonsensical. I watched the Chris Rock special over the weekend. I thought it was really good. I am writing a new book that will be out scheduled on September 12th. Uh, So the book writing process is long. Uh, For those of you who are not readers, I will also be recording the entire book on audio. So that will be coming out as well. Uh, You have something to look forward to from me. That's what I've been spending most of my time writing on. Okay. So from that respect... I just want all of you out there to think about this for a moment. In what world does it make any sense for Republicans to not embrace comedy? I watched the Chris Rock special. I like watching comedians, whether I agree with their political slants or not, because I respect the ability of humor to puncture power, satire, is often the strongest, most powerful, uh, uh, basically, antidote to authoritarianism. It's not a coincidence that countries that have the least freedom also have the the lowest amount of comedy. Because comedy is a threat very often to power. Because comedy, without taking on big targets, is not comedy at all. It's propaganda, which is what Stephen Colbert, for instance, and Saturday Night Live do now. They aren't actually making jokes. They're just serving as propaganda for the ruling elite. People who are in positions of power should be ridiculed. They should be mocked. They should be satirized. If you can't laugh at yourself, then I have significant problems and concerns about you potentially being in a position of power. I've made this argument for a long time. I don't think there are very many funny terrorists. Like, if you were just right now in a terrorist camp, somewhere in the Middle East, for instance, I don't think they sit around and make each other laugh all the time. Because dogma is typically the enemy of humor. Being convinced that you are all that is right in the world and your enemies are all that is evil very rarely leads to great comedic insights. I bring all of this up because in my new book, I say Republicans should be the party of jokes. We should be the party that says, yes, go out, be offensive at times, challenge orthodoxy, put the parameters of acceptable speech under the comedic standards, very expansive. And I watched Chris Rock and his, his uh, comedy special was called Selective Outrage And it opened with a discussion about Michael Jackson versus R. Kelly. And he said, if you are the kind of person who plays Michael Jackson songs and refuses to play R. Kelly songs, you are practicing selective outrage. Now, to be fair, R. Kelly has been convicted. Uh, Michael Jackson died before he was ever convicted of any wrongdoing. But I do understand the premise in general, which is much of American society is focused now on selective outrage and he, and he had a great point where he talked about lululemon and how much their yoga pants cost it's like the lululemon says we will not discriminate i didn't even know this but uh, my wife was like yeah this is true in the window it says we won't discriminate based on you know any kind of uh group right like race sex transfer whatever the heck it is right we're not going to discriminate and chris rock was like the pants cost a hundred dollars I'd rather have some racist yoga pants that only cost $25, which I thought was really, really funny. But this woke virus that has taken over the country. And Chris Rock responded to the Will Smith slap and said, you know, that it was an example of selective outrage because everybody on the planet called Will Smith a bitch because his mom, his mom, because his wife did an interview about sleeping with her son's friends. And everybody from The View uh, on called Will Smith a bitch because they did an interview about like how that made him feel. And you've certainly seen the Will Smith Smith memes that are going around. And so when Chris Rock made a G.I. Jane joke, it was selective outrage by Will Smith. He was not angry at Chris Rock. He was angry at what his wife did to him. I think that's true. But what is true in general is that Comedy's under attack. There has never been a time in my life where more comedians have been more terrified of people out there deciding that their jokes are unacceptable and coming along and trying to cancel them. And so I am firmly in the camp of pro-comedy, right? I want expansive comedic possibilities. Whether I agree with the premise of the, the comedy or not, I want every comedian to be able to to make their jokes to the full extent of their capabilities. Um, And I believe that is actually good for the country. It is, to me, a full uh, rendition of the marketplace of ideas. And so when I watched Chris Rock, I see so many people coming along to my perspective. People from all different backgrounds, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, they hate woke people. And they hate this woke college-educated, left-wing, liberal worldview that tries to say, you can say that, you can't say that. This identity politics twinning with cancel culture, which I believe is right now the foundation of the Democrat Party. And I don't believe this country can advance without the identity politics and cancel culture wing, the foundation of the Democrat Party being totally destroyed. And I believe that that is what is going to happen in 2024 with the right Republican candidate. I really do. But this woke mind virus, you're starting to see a lot of comedians, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, um, Jerry Seinfeld, push back against it. And I believe that we're going to win this battle. And that was my biggest takeaway from watching Chris Rock on Saturday night. Uh, Speaking of the woke mind virus, a court has ruled that USA Powerlifting has to allow a man who now identifies as a woman to be able to compete in the uh, in the powerlifting championships. And I want to make sure I get this right uh, because I I shared this earlier. I want to make sure that I get the storyline right. Um. It is really kind of, kind of crazy to think about that we have managed to find ourselves here. Um, but when you actually break it down, Elon Musk has weighed in and says, this is extremely unfair to anyone with double X chromosomes. And this I'm reading from Fox News. USA powerlifting must let transgender athletes compete in women's division after losing a discrimination case. J.C. Cooper... A transgender athlete sued in 2021 um, because the federation banned her, meaning a dude who identifies as a woman, from being able to compete. Uh, and with this win, the uh, USA powerlifting is effectively going to be taken over by dudes who identify as women because men are bigger, stronger, and faster than women. Uh, the lawsuit said uh, that it, this was in Minnesota state court. Uh, The harm is making a person pretend to be something different. Uh, USA Powerlifting will consider an appeal. Uh, And this is just crazy because every women's record, and I just want to be clear about this. You can flag this in, what are we in? March of 2023. Every women's sporting record will eventually be owned by transgender women because men are bigger, stronger, and faster than women. And when men decide to identify as women, they are going to be better than women's athletes. That's why men and women are divided now. And so what is we are on the inexorable, inevitable march towards is effectively the erasure of women's athletics by men who have decided to identify as women. And I just keep waiting for feminists to stand up for people who are big proponents of Title IX. I mean, I'm actually wearing a t-shirt right now that simply says biology is real because you are being forced and being told that biology is not real and that there's no difference between men and women and that sex is just an idea. People just decide whether to be a boy or a girl. Sometimes doctors get things wrong. Men can get pregnant. These are all biological lies that the left is forcing you to say, and the vast majority of the American public does not agree, but will women's athletes finally take a stand and stop this from happening? And so what's going to have to occur? You're going to have to be willing to take the slings and arrows of condemnation in order to establish a return to normalcy. And I don't know that we're going to get there. Derek Carr, to the Saints, brilliant. I think it's a great move, okay? Let me explain why. Right now, this past season, Derek Carr played in the AFC West. Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes are the other three quarterbacks for the Chargers, Broncos, and Chiefs that played against the Raiders in that division. Those three quarterbacks, I don't think it's crazy to say, are as good or better than almost anyone that exists in the NFC today. All right. So I have been saying for a while now that to me, it makes competitive sense for AFC quarterbacks to be interested in moving over to the NFC. Because how many quarterbacks are really elite level quarterbacks right now in the NFC? Jalen Hurts, one good year. We'll see if he can maintain it. Uh, Aaron Rodgers on the back end of his career, still probably the best quarterback in the NFC. Can't see what's going on with Kyler Murray. Doesn't seem like it's going very well. Uh, Dak Prescott, up and down with the Cowboys, I would say. Very average. Do you have a lot of confidence in Kirk Cousins? What about Jared Goff? There are, when I run through all of these guys, a lot of reasons to not have faith in them. Derek Carr, arguably can be as good of a quarterback as there is in the NFC. Certainly, he's going to be the best quarterback in the NFC South. So he's going from probably the best quarterback division in all of football to maybe the worst. So I think this is a really smart move for Derek Carr. I think this is low risk for the Saints as they try to find their replacement for Drew Brees. And look, to me... Derek Carr should win with the Saints if he can stay healthy, the NFC South this year. I think it's a very good addition. So what do the, what do the Jets do? Looks like, uh, and this is the second part of this, reports are Derek Henry's on the trade block. My Tennessee Titans have decided that Derek Henry, who over the last four years, I think it's fair to say, is the best running back in the NFL. Uh, if somebody will make an offer for them, it's fire sell time in Tennessee. Bud Dupree released, Taylor LeJuan released, uh, even Randy Bullock, the kicker, released. Uh, there are a lot of decisions being made that are trying to free up Robert Wood's cap space for the Titans because they have expensive cost for a team that's not very good. And so I think Derrick Henry is in play. I also think Ryan is in play. So I'm curious what the Jets are going to end up doing at the quarterback position, would they want Ryan Tannehill? Titans are basically with a brand new GM and Rand Carthen going back to the drawing board and trying to get as many of these big contracts off the books as they can and able to go back into the draft and just remake the team. This is why I told my boys it's going to take a decade or more before you even know how painful that loss to the Bengals was at home when you sack Joe Burrow nine times and You have three interceptions from Ryan Tannehill in an ultimate choke job performance when all you have to do is avoid disaster and the Titans are hosting a home AFC playoff game. Instead, last second field goal by the Bengals. Bengals go to the Super Bowl. Titans window closes. A.J. Brown is traded. We'll be right back. Got to take a little break here. We are rolling without kicking. You don't want to miss a moment. Stay tuned. Certainly, John Robinson was trying to pull a rabbit out of the hat. He was trying to pull off the Stephon Diggs, and I'm going to go get Jefferson in the draft trade where everybody ends up winning. That did not pan out. It has been a disaster. We still don't know if Traylon Burks is any good. We do know A.J. Brown, probably a top five wide receiver in the NFL. Titans didn't get much back for him. That's unfortunate. Um, Brandon Miller. Want to talk about this. You're probably not going to hear anybody else discuss this angle. Ja Morant, over the weekend, went out and flashed a gun on Instagram uh, from inside of a nightclub. Really poor decision by Ja Morant because he was in the news and the Washington Post, as I read to you, with an allegation that he got into a fight with a 17-year-old and showed a gun, with the allegation that the Indiana uh, Pacers said that someone had pulled a gun on them, Uh, after the game in the sort of bowels of FedEx Forum. And then Ja Morant reacts to this by going out and posting an Instagram video holding a gun. He's currently off the team, trying to get his mind right, according to statements that have been made. He's out for at least two games, probably longer. And what I thought was interesting about this is the Memphis Grizzlies responded to Ja Morant flashing a gun in an Instagram video in conjunction with his other behavior more aggressively than the Alabama Crimson Tide did to Brandon Miller for driving a gun to a murder scene that led to the murder of a mom. Uh, And these are undisputed facts. I understand that a lot of people out there in sports media, frankly, are not very smart and lack the intellectual ability to even consider a criminal charge. But in... Brandon Miller's attorney's own statement. He doesn't dispute that he knew the car, the gun was in the car, and he doesn't dispute that he received a text message letting him know that, uh, that his teammate wanted that gun because they were in a confrontation. So I just want all of you to sit there and think for a minute, how is it that the NBA's Memphis Grizzlies, which have a CBA and deal with professional athletes, were more difficult with Ja Morant for flashing a gun than the Alabama Crimson Tide were with Brandon Miller for actually delivering a murder weapon to the murder scene and allowing a murder to take place. It's backwards, right? Because Brandon Miller is just a college kid, and all he's doing is getting the opportunity uh, as a privilege to be a scholarship athlete at the University of Alabama. We know students get suspended all the time, whether they're athletes or not, for relatively inconsequential behavioral violations. In fact, if you have played sports before, you probably have been on a team, maybe it was you, where somebody got suspended for not having high enough grades, for not going to class, for talking back to a coach, for just misbehavior that is nowhere near criminal in nature. So the Grizz say they're so concerned about Ja Morant that they are suspending him effectively from the team while he tries to learn from his misbehavior. Alabama does nothing to Brandon Miller, despite Brandon Miller engaging in behavior that's far worse than what Ja Morant did, right? Brandon Miller didn't just show up on an Instagram Live flashing a gun. He wasn't accused of flashing a gun before. He actually delivered a loaded murder weapon to the scene of a murder that was used to kill a mom. And what I love here is there are definitely a bunch of Alabama fans that actually overlap as Memphis Grizzly fans. And I love their brains exploding as they try to justify the way that the Memphis Grizzlies have responded while simultaneously defending what the Alabama Crimson Tide have done. Here is what I think is the big picture. The Grizz actually seem concerned about John Morant's uh, decision-making going forward because he's a linchpin of their franchise, right? Whereas Alabama doesn't really care that much about Brandon Miller. They're just using him because he's leaving in three weeks and then he'll never have anything to do with the University of Alabama ever again. So it's an interesting dichotomy here. Think about it. The college, which supposedly exists to grow boys into men, right, is less concerned with the behavior of a player than the NBA franchise, which exists to make money for its professional sports team's owner. Really interesting. The investment opportunity here, the Grizz are more invested in Ja Morant's growth as a human than Alabama Crimson Tide is in the growth of Brandon Miller as a human. I think it's really interesting to think about because in general, you would expect the opposite, right? You would expect the university, which is in the goal, the entire purpose of a university is to educate young minds and develop adults, whereas the goal of the Grizz is just to make money, yet the Grizz are more stringent in their expectations of John Morant than the University of Alabama is for Brandon Miller. I think it's backwards, I think the Grizz are responding appropriately here, but I think it evidences how much Alabama's behavior is utterly indefensible based on the undisputed facts of these situations. Um, MSNBC has an idiot prognosticator who is a historian, and I'll admit I've read some of his books before, and now I don't think I could ever read another of his books because of how stupid he is on television. Michael Beschloss said... That Ron DeSantis is a fascist dictator, uh, authoritarian. He is the Mussolini of Florida, paraphrasing there. Um, And what I just keep coming back to is this is important for everybody out there as the 2023 campaign season plays itself out. Make no mistakes about what is going on here. Whoever the nominee is, Trump is Hitler already. Whoever the Republican nominee is, if it is not Trump, will be worse than Trump. They're already trotting this out there. And I wonder on some level, for people like Michael Beschloss, is his brain so broken that he doesn't even understand what a fascist dictatorship is? Like, I would love to have a conversation with him. One-on-one. I record it. I let everybody listen. What is Ron DeSantis doing that you believe is akin to what a fascist dictator would be doing? Like, make that historical analogy of Ron DeSantis is Mussolini make sense. Because when I see Florida and approaching a million new residents have seen and moved to Florida since Ron DeSantis became governor, what I see is the exact opposite of fascism and authoritarianism and a dictatorship. I see more freedom being given to the general public. Letting kids go to school without masks is the opposite of what a fascist dictator would do. Letting kids go to school and play sports is the opposite of what a fascist dictator would do. Saying you are not going to allow vaccine mandates to demand that people put something in their body is the opposite of what a fascist dictator would do. And again, I think Republicans are doing a poor job of handling this attack, but arguing that books are being canceled is totally wrong. Okay. What is being debated is at what age is it appropriate for kids to read books? That's what parents decide every day. Take it outside of books when it comes to movies, right? I have a second grader. I would not allow him to see right now an R-rated movie. He's eight. I also have a 15-year-old. I probably for sure would allow him to see R-rated movies depending again on exactly what the movie is that I would not allow his eight-year-old brother to see. That's because a 15-year-old understands things on a different level than an eight-year-old does. And indeed, that's the entire concept of movie ratings. G, PG, PG PG-13, R, NC-17, X, XXX, all of these, right, are designed to give people an idea of what is appropriate for kids to be watching. And so we don't say, if a movie comes out and it's PG-13, we don't say that it's banned for young kids. If a movie is rated R, we don't say, oh, that's banned for children to watch. We just say, hey, it's not age appropriate for kids to watch. Other people can go experience it. And by the way, if you are a parent and you disagree with the decisions about what books kids should read, then you can go buy those books yourself. They aren't banned anywhere in Florida. You have the right as a parent to make a decision. I say to my kids all the time, if, you, if they were here with you right now, I would say to them, what does dad always say about books? And all three of them would respond and say, dad says, if you read the book, he'll buy it for you. It's true. I'm going to look at the book myself. If they read it and they can answer questions about it, then I will always go buy them another book. That's my personal parenting philosophy. I am struggling, like a lot of parents are, to get my kids to read. If I find out that they like a particular series of books or if I find out that they respond, what are they like now? The Dogman books, I think. I can barely keep up with all this craziness. I will go buy every one of those books for my kids to read it. That's my parenting philosophy. But I also understand if other parents don't want their kids to read the same books that I might be okay with my kids reading. That's not banning books. It's having a real debate about age-appropriate reading list for children. That makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. I want to close out with this story. So you guys know I'm an old man. I still get the print newspapers, print New York Times, print Wall Street Journal delivered every day to my house. I would get the print uh, Washington Post delivered if I could. Saturday morning, I sit down, I pick up my newspaper, front page story is about black equestrians who are upset because if they have dreadlocks, the horse riding helmets don't fit them correctly. Front page story in the New York Times is about horse riding helmets and people who have dreadlocks and what if they don't fit correctly. Now, I don't know what percentage of horse riders in America have dreadlocks and are dealing with this dreadful calamity. One thing I would suggest is that we are reaching the end of systemic racism when systemic racism means in my free time, I can't ride my super expensive horse in a helmet that fits perfectly because my very unique hairstyle is not perfectly fitted for the horse riding helmet. Just going to toss that out there, okay? But as their lead in this story, they talk about first of all, not even an American; it's a Canadian, and this one, this girl Chanel Robbins is posing with her horse Bo, uh, and she has had a pony since she was seven years old, and she now has a uh, she now has a horse. Now, not an expert on horses. But if you have a horse for fun, right, i.e., you are not a cowboy, you are not someone who rides a horse for purposes of your job, you probably aren't hurting for money. Just tossing that out there. Because I would think for most people, if they're struggling to make the paychecks, they probably would cut back on the horse. Just going to toss it out there. And most people do not get ponies when they are young, all right? So uh, this story, uh, I saw this quote. So she connected with her father, a native of Jamaica, eight years ago. As the two grew closer, Miss Robbins decided to style her hair in dreadlocks like her dad, but there was a problem. Her riding helmet no longer fit, and she couldn't find one that did. Uh, Okay, you're 27 years old, you had a pony, you've got a horse, you decide to change your hairstyle and you are unable to find a helmet that fits your new hairstyle. If you truly love to ride horses, I would submit that part of being an adult is somehow reconciling two things that you like and making a choice between them. Let me give you an example. If you are a swimmer, you have to wear a swim cap. You might be so desperate to be faster that you shave off all the head on your hair and on on your head and that you shave off a lot of your body hair just in an effort to be as fast as possible in the swimming pool. Now, there are probably swimmers out there who say, man, I really want to have hair that I can't wear under my swim cap. There might be guys out there who say, man, I really want to be an Olympic champion, but I'm not willing to shave off my chest hair because I think it looks amazing. Or my leg hair, because I think it looks weird for a dude to not have leg hair. Understood. But in order to be a champion in that sport, you have to make a sacrifice. Give up your leg hair in order to try to win swim matches. Wear hair that will fit underneath the swim cap or decide not to be a swimmer. So this 27-year-old doesn't seem to understand that life and adulthood sometimes requires choices. And I read this quote and I couldn't believe it. I finally freaking feel like myself and now society is asking me to change Miss Robbins, 27, said as she choked back tears, I just want to be able to ride. You can ride. Change your hairstyle and wear the hat that fit you your entire life. Or, or figure out how to design a helmet that can fit even though you have dreadlocks. I don't know. Somehow it works in college football in the NFL There are lots of dudes with dreadlocks who wear helmets and somehow it seems to work for them. Certainly, there have to be helmet shells that you could experiment with to try to fit dreadlocks. And by the way, maybe there is this massive collection of black dreadlock-wearing horseback riders who are terrified to admit that they can't find helmets that fit and there is this massive market you could design a new horse-riding helmet for people with dreadlocks and become a billionaire because that new helmet fits so much better. Of course, I'm exaggerating because this is not a real issue for very many people. But if it were, you could design a new helmet. And if it weren't the case that you cared about anyone but yourself, you could simply make the choice to either get a haircut or... Find a way to find a helmet to wear. This is not a real story. This is the end of victim culture. This is the last desperate breath of victim culture. The Washington Post is so obsessed with finding black people who are victims that they found a woman who rides a horse in her free time and doesn't have a helmet that fits as well as she would like because of her particular choices when it comes to her hairstyle and put her on the front page of the newspaper and had her choking back tears over this calamity. Welcome to identity politics, cancel culture, and victimized life as it's brought to you by the New York Times every single day. Good luck to this poor, misguided soul who can't ride a horse in her free time as comfortably as she would like. All right. I can hang out with you as comfortably as I would like every single day. Be back with you with Clay and Buck tomorrow. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. This has been Outkick the Show. Thank you all.